Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can. All good. Um, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 22, um, starting at verse 1 and finishing at verse 14. And it, this is the parable of the great feast. Jesus told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven is can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent out his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent out other servants to tell them the feast had been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I, guests I invited aren't worthy of the honour. Now go out onto the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called and few are chosen. Brilliant, thank you, Sarah. Okay, let's just do the compulsory. Can you hear me? Give me a wave. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, I am so excited to be able to speak to you guys tonight. It's so good to see all of you. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little bit nervous to the point where I almost um, debated doing the Tom Fletcher wedding um, speech approach where he sang the whole thing. So I was thinking I could sing the whole thing to you because to be honest, that's much more in my comfort zone. But I've decided after you know about 20 minutes that would probably get annoying. So we're just gonna go with this. Okay, if you don't know me, um, my name is Phil. I'm part of the leadership team here at Real Life. I'm married to Matt, who you just saw leading worship, uh, and we have a little girl, Delta, and a little boy, Blue. Um, Matt's one of the elders here, and between us, we look after the worship team, which, to be honest, in this season, has looked incredibly different to usual. Um, we love worshiping Jesus, and we love it most when we get to do it with you guys, and we cannot wait until we can stand together and sing. I think the first Sunday back is gonna be a very noisy one. Okay. Right, I want you to think about the best party you've ever been to. Okay, get that party in your head. Now, was it a wedding or a special birthday or a New Year's Eve bash? How do you um, feel when you remember that party? Now, I think my favourite was probably still our wedding day. Matt and I got married just over 17 years ago. I know you wouldn't think we were that old, but surprise. Um, and I still remember it as being one of the best days ever. 
Now, if you don't know me, I'm quite crafty, quite arty. I like to make things and I love all things pretty. Um, so for that reason, and you know, financial, um, <laughs> we made a lot of the things at our wedding ourselves. We made table decorations and place names and the favours and the seating plan. And I remember spending hours a few months before our wedding um, making the invitations. Now, I thought we had one that we'd saved in our wedding memory box, but it turns out we didn't. So. <laughs> I had a go at making a kind of mock-up, but seriously, it's really bad. So this was vaguely, I'll do it from a distance, you can't quite see, what our wedding invitation looks like, except, can you see that? It was not a silver pipe cleaner stuck onto our, um, onto our invites there. It was a really nice piece of silver cord. And anyway, the, the paper that we used was bright pink, which was my favourite colour at the time, um, probably still is now, if I'm honest, um, and had rose petaled all kind of sprinkled into it, and it was just really, really pretty. And we spent ages making these. And then as long as we spent making the actual invitations themselves, not these ones, um, I think we probably spent longer deciding on who to send them to. Now, with a wedding, you obviously have a limited number of guests you can invite, determined by the size of your venue. So we had to choose our top 120 people to invite to be part of our big day. Now, each one was special to us, and as we posted our invites out, we were really hoping that they would all come back saying yes. Now, the thing about invitations, whether it's to a wedding or a dinner party or whatever it's to, there are only two answers. There's yes and there's no. Now you could argue there's also maybe a not yet, but really a not yet is just a delayed no. Now we actually included a little RSVP card with ours. Again, this was not the actual one, as you can see by its giant size. Um, yeah, we included one of these, um, and on ours, rather than just yes and no, it had, uh, sorry I'm unable to come, and the other one said, yes I would love to come. So all people had to do was to tick the relevant box and pop it in the post. Now I know now, that sounds a little bit archaic, but we got married um, in the days before, wedding websites and WhatsApp groups, so snail mail was the thing for us. Now, I remember every time a little white RSVP, RSVP card dropped onto the doormat of my parents' house, which was also my home at the time, I was so excited to see what people had said. And if I saw it was a no, I remember feeling really disappointed that one of our special chosen friends or family wouldn't be there to share our day with us. But if it was a yes, it was a little happy dance, I was so chuffed. So tonight I want to talk about invitations. I want to talk about the invitation God has for us, who his invitation is for, and how we should respond to this invitation. When our only two options are no or yes, I pray tonight that you will hear the call of God on your life and tick the box that says yes. All right, let's look at the parable. The parable of the banquet. It's all about an invitation. An invitation from the king to the wedding feast of his son. Now, this was the third parable set out in Matthew that Jesus told in response to the Pharisees questioning Jesus' authority. He was teaching in the temple and the Pharisees came up to him and demanded to know who gave him the right to teach and heal and forgive all the things he'd been doing and under whose authority was he doing so. Now, we've heard quite a bit about the Pharisees over the last few weeks, so I won't go into loads of detail. But what we do need to remember is that they were a people group whose pious and religious aspirations were blinding them to the truth of the gospel. Their obsession with the appearance of holiness was blocking them from truly getting close to the Father heart of God. In short, they were a group of people who, even with the foretold saviour of the world standing right in front of them, had totally missed the point. 
Now, Jesus says twice to them in Matthew 21, both in verse 31 and 43, that corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes would get into the kingdom of God before they did, and that the kingdom of God would be taken away from them and given to a nation that would produce proper fruit. As he begins this parable, I can imagine he must be so infuriated with them. This is the third illustration he gives them of what they will miss out on if they don't open their eyes and see what's standing right in front of them. Just as the cockerel crowed three times as a warning to Peter later on that he would deny Jesus, here Jesus is making his point three times as a warning to these religious leaders. If God says something to you three times, listen. So let's look at this parable. The king in the parable was throwing a feast, a banquet to celebrate the wedding of his son. Now a first century Jewish wedding was a grand affair and none more than that of the king's son. After the period of betrothal was finished and all the agreements were at last reached and signed, the wedding could take place. Now weddings typically extended over a period of five to seven days and often in the autumn when the harvest was all collected in, the vintage were over, mines were free and everybody was able to relax and to rest. It was a season when the evenings were cool and it was agreeable to sit up late at night. Now usually the entire village gathered for a wedding. The bride and the groom would process through the village with crowds gathering to sing songs over them and generally pull together to create an atmosphere of jubilant celebration. Now when the procession reached the bridegroom's house, his parents bestowed a traditional blessing drawn from scripture and after the prayers, the evening was passed in games and dancing and the bridegroom took part in the festivities. The next day was the wedding feast. <clears throat> and once again, there was general rejoicing and a sort of holiday in the village. There was a meal towards the end of the day at which the men and the women were served separately. Now this was a time for the giving of presents, the best bit. The bride, all dressed in white, was surrounded by her bridesmaids. She sat under a canopy while traditional songs and blessings were sung and recited. And during this time, in the evening, the groom arrived. Now that the couple were together and all the other men and the women also came together and the synagogue, the synagogue, sorry, or other religious leaders gave their blessings to the couple. And after this came the evening feast. Now the food would be second to none. Spiced wine would have been flowing, garlands or crowns of flowers would have been worn by everyone and the evening would have been full of music, singing and dancing. If you had been invited to a royal a royal wedding in the first century, I'm pretty sure this would have been the party you chose as your answer to my opening question. Now, as was customary, the invitations would have been sent out ahead of time, and then when the meal was prepared, and the table was laid, and the musicians were all tuned up and ready to go, the host would send out a servant to collect the invited guests. Now, it would have been considered a great insult to turn down the meal after it had all been prepared. However, this is exactly what the king's guests did. So let's have a look at these excuses. Let's picture the scene. The servants go out into the village on the king's command to collect the guests for the prepared banquet. They walk into the town and up to the first guest they see. Excitedly, they say, it's time, everything's ready, come to the banquet. But instead of grabbing their things and running up to begin the feasting, the guests simply push past the servants and head off in the opposite direction. It says in verse five that one of them went off to his farm, to his home, and another to his business. In Luke's version of the parable, Jesus elaborates further on the responses of the guests. And he says, um, one said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. So please excuse me. 
and yet another said, oh, see, now I have a wife, so I can't come. One by one, all the specially invited guests offered a fairly feeble excuse and refused to come to the banquet. They each have an attachment that they are unwilling to let go of in order to accept the most prestigious and important invitation they were ever going to get. And in doing so, they reveal their total disregard for the king. I can only imagine the disbelief of the servants as they hear this stream of second-rate excuses. And we see in the passage that when they further questioned the guests about their responses, some of them got so angry and defensive that they grabbed the servants, insulted them and eventually killed them. Now, I spoke about how I felt a little bit disappointed when one of our wedding RSVP cards came back with the no box ticked. Well, not only must the king have felt disappointed, it says in verse 7 he was furious. So much so that he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Now, the king loved his son more than anything, and he knew his son deserved to be celebrated and honoured on this most special day. So he cried out, the banquet hall will not be empty. The food will not go to waste. My son and his new bride will be celebrated. So he instructed his servants to go back out into the town, but this time further afield. Go out into the street corners, the alleys of the town. Invite everyone you see. The good, the bad, the crippled, the poor, the lame. Go further afield still, the country lanes. Behind the hedgerows, bring back everyone you find so that the house will be full. So the servants did just that. And they kept on going further and further out, searching for guests until not one seat at the great banquet was empty. Now the response from the second round of guests was completely different to that of the first. But why? Because they didn't expect to be invited. They were not the type of people that would usually have been given access to the king's house. And they were completely aware of that. They didn't feel as if they deserved their seat at the table. They hadn't earned the right to it. And because of that self-realisation, they saw the incredible worth and beauty in the invitation. They saw how precious it was and they reached out and grabbed it with both hands. They saw the king for who he was, royal, powerful, generous, kind, set apart. And when given the chance to be with him in his house, they didn't hesitate. The first round of guests, however, were so blinded by their indifference, hostility, and even hatred of the king that they cut him out of their lives. And as a result, their lives were what they ended up losing. So why did Jesus tell us this story? What was he trying to teach the Pharisees and us? Unlike some of the parables, which can be a little tricky to interpret on first reading, this one's not too difficult to decipher. The king obviously represents God, the son is Jesus, and the great banquet's referring to the wedding feast of the lamb that all who are saved will join in on at the end of time. Jesus uses the characters of the servants to represent the prophets and early preachers of the gospel. And the first guests invited are the Jews, and the ones who actually came to the banquet are the Gentiles. He uses his parable to deal with the issue of Israel's refusal to respond to Christ when he first came down to his own people. The Pharisees were Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones holding the invitation into the kingdom, the great banquet, in their hands. Yet they were the ones who, because of their arrogance and piety, were going to miss out. Jesus was warning them, he was calling them to open their eyes and see the truth of what both he and his kingdom were really like. But they didn't like the reality of Jesus. They didn't like that they couldn't earn their way into his kingdom. 
They hated his love for people because it held up such a powerful mirror to the contempt in their own hearts for anyone they considered to be less worthy than them. Just like the shocking behaviour of the invited guests highlighted their contempt for the king himself, so Jesus laid bare the real heart attitude of the Pharisees. This, in part, was one of the reasons they began to despise him and plot to have him later crucified. What is so devastating here is that the Pharisees didn't know what they had right in front of them. The reason they couldn't see the value of the invitation they were being extended was because they thought, as Jeremy said last week, that they deserved it. They couldn't get out of their own way. As far as they were concerned, they had earned their place in the kingdom of God. They were righteous people and that's what mattered. But whilst man may look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart and their hearts were wrong. It says in Romans 3 that we are made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law. In short, we can be as good as we like, but that will not give us access to the Father. We need a hand-delivered invitation written in the blood of the Son. The second the Pharisees placed such a high value on their own achievements and importance, they devalued the amazing grace that made it possible for this invitation to be extended in the first place. Again, they had missed the point. They had missed God's heart for them. And because of this, they were going to miss out in a catastrophic way. So just as the king extended the wedding invitation far and wide, out into the villages, the lanes, the fields, the hedgerows, and invited everyone found there, so God's invitation of salvation is open to anyone who will hear and receive. Salvation is a free gift. It levels the playing field. We all kneel on the same ground before the cross of Christ and it's Jesus alone that makes us worthy of this invitation. We are not excluded for being of a certain race or status or age or gender. John says that God sent his only son that whoever may believe in him will have eternal life. And again in Romans, Paul says, we're made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is good news. <laughs> so what does God want us to take away from this? Well, <clears throat> it all comes back to the invitation. Understanding what it is that God is inviting us to and looking at what our response to that invitation is. When we open our invitation and we take out our RSVP card, which box are we gonna choose to tick tonight? Now this parable is talking primarily about salvation, God's salvation invitation. It's his heart that none of us should perish. It's his desire, just like the king in the story, to see every seat at the wedding feast of the Lamb filled. Now at the moment, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't invited him to be the saviour and lord of your life, you don't have a seat at the banquet. There is no place name with your name written on it. But God is desperate to see you there. He wants you to be in his house celebrating with him for all eternity. He wants you to be someone who sees who he is. Not blinded like the Pharisees, but eyes fully open, recognising that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and that the only way back into relationship with him is through accepting his son Jesus Christ as your Lord. He has an invitation with your name on it and all he wants you to do is reach out, take it, open it up, pull out the RSVP card and tick yes. If you do want to do that, 
please get in touch with us. We have so many people at Real Life who are chomping at the bit to introduce you to Jesus, so please don't wait. Say yes today. Now I know for most of us here tonight that you've already accepted God's invitation of salvation, be it 5, 10, 20, 50 years ago. I love that story a couple of weeks ago where so many people shared how long they've known Jesus. That was, that was brilliant. Now on the day you did, it said in the Bible that the celebration in heaven was immense. And I can imagine on that day that God wept happy tears as another one of his children decided to come home. So if you're already saved, what can you take from this parable? You've already said yes to God. You hold that invitation firmly in your hand. You've ticked yes. You are already running towards that wedding feast with your eyes locked on the lamb. Well done. I guarantee that will have been the best yes you ever say. But God didn't design it so that we accept his offer of salvation and then straight away die and go to be with him in heaven. It's not how it works. Until we meet Jesus face to face at the end of time, at the wedding supper of the Lamb, we have a lot of living to do here on earth. We have a lot of the kingdom of God to see worked out here and now in our everyday lives. We are not called to say yes to God once and then just sit and wait until we die or Jesus returns. We are called to continually say yes to Jesus, to wake up every morning and say yes to him until we wake up no more. Now nearly 10 years ago, Matt and I said yes to God and we left our home and our family behind in Stortford and we moved to Sutton Coalfield to be a part of this beautiful church. Not gonna lie, it was the hardest decision we've ever made because following God comes with sacrifice. But we knew it was the right one. And this is really terrible, but once we've made it, there were times where I felt a bit smug. I was like, check me out, I'm an amazing Christian. Look at what I've said yes to, it's huge. And really bad. Um, but we were at a meeting, I think it was our one of the last worship meetings at our old church, and a very wise man of God came up to us and said, well done for saying yes. I was like, yes, I know, we're fantastic. Um, and then he said, you do know that's not the last yes you're ever gonna say though, don't you? Giant pin in my bubble of smugness. <laughs> he said, you have said a big yes here, but you can't feast off this one for the rest of your Christian life. You have to keep getting up and saying a brand new yes to God every day. And he was right. <laughs> God calls us not just to accept his one-time invitation, but from that day on, to accept his daily invitation to walk his way, to follow his call, to do whatever it is he asks of us, big or small, to put him on the top spot in our priorities, in our hearts and in our lives. Some days that's gonna be easy, and other days it really won't be. Thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit and don't have to walk any of this alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I am excellent at coming up with excuses for why I can't do something, why I can't say yes to God today. A bit like the first round of invited guests, it's so easy for us to put everything else at the top of our priority lists above God's will for us. Whether it's our homes, our rest and our comfort, like the man who went off to his farm, or our work, our to-do lists, our busyness, like the man who ignored, his, ignored the servant to go off to his business? Or what about the newlywed who went off to his wife? Is it your family that you prioritise over God? Or maybe your possessions, your money, your stuff, like the men who went off to inspect the fields and oxen? Now, we may not have a field or a herd of oxen or be a newlywed like the servants in the, um, the people in the story, but we have plenty of things that we use as an excuse to not accept God's invitation to follow his call every day. 
Now, as I've been preparing this, I've been praying that God's going to nudge us tonight on the excuses we make, the things we prioritise and the areas of our life that he wants to do a little bit of work in. So, Holy Spirit, I just want to pray again that you come now and just start to stir us up, speak to us. What is it you want us to hear tonight? Jesus. Just a quick little aside, how do you know if God's challenging you or nudging you on something? Well, there are definitely three ways that he lets me know that he wants to do some work in me in response to hearing his word. One way, I get defensive. If when I just mentioned these three excuses, one of them made you rise up a little bit with indignation and start to get a bit defensive, chances are that's because you know it's an area of your life that's out of sync with God's priorities. Second one, I feel a bit swirly, just kind of an unrest in my soul. I feel unsettled and just not quite at peace. Now, if you're starting to feel this, it's probably God starting to speak. So just ask him what it is he wants to do tonight. And then the third one, the good old fashioned Holy Spirit sucker punch to the gut. <laughs> now, this is the one that usually brings me to my knees in tears. This is when I know I am being fully convicted and need to sort some stuff out with God. Now, undoubtedly mixed in with these responses to the Holy Spirit stirring will be some fear. Fear of change, fear of letting go, fear of missing out. But let me assure you that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear and nothing comes close to the peace and the exhilaration you feel when you finally say yes to God. God has our best interests at heart and no one will ever love you like he does. He is love and perfect love casts out fear. So what I want to do tonight is just ask you a few questions about the different excuses and I want to pray that God will move. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will stir you and that you will allow God to speak into your life tonight. Just as we're doing this, my cat's decided to come join us. <laughs> so, which one of those excuses is resonating with you right now? Is it the field and the oxen? The man who loved his possessions? Do you love stuff? Do you hanker after the latest iPhone or need to have the most recent team kit? Does your car always have to be the newest and your TV the largest? When you feel unsatisfied or swirly with life, do you reach for the credit card and give the Amazon Prime man a good workout? Are you jealous when you see other people who have more expensive holidays than you or nicer clothes? Are your weekends filled with shopping? Do you feel like everything will be a little bit better if you can just have that fill in the blank? If Jesus came to you today and said, I want you to give your holiday budget for next year to the family across town who haven't had one in years, could you do it? Or what about the excuse of the farm that rang true for you? The guest who just wanted to go to his home. This, by the way, is my one. Do you love having all your free time to yourself? Do you find you struggle to make up bags for the food bank but will happily get yourself a takeaway every week? Do you hold back on offering to help people because it would require you to get off your sofa, turn off Netflix, leave your house? Do you find yourself choosing rest or a quiet night in time and time again over going out to visit someone who's lonely? When someone asks you to come to a church meeting, when we used to do church meetings or on Zoom, do you often resent the demand that's made on your time? I really battle with this one, I'll be honest with you. I'm not gonna lie, the thing I've loved about 2020 is suddenly the number of free evenings I have in a, in a week. I love my comfort, my home, my time with just my family and close friends, but I know I've put too high a priority on it and it has stolen time away from me working for the kingdom of God. Do you feel the same? How about the business excuse? 
God's given us work as a gift and he categorically says in his word that hard work is good for you. But as with any gift God gives us, the creation should never take the place of the creator. Have you found yourself working longer and longer hours, especially as you've gotten older? Do you have to apply for every promotion that comes up at work? Have you found yourself scaling the ladder as quickly as you can, only to still feel a little bit unsatisfied with each new rung? Do you check your work emails on your phone whilst having dinner with your kids? Do you take your laptop to bed? Do your date nights get cancelled or made shorter and shorter because you have to return that work call or finish that document? What percentage of your weekend do you spend with your family compared to finishing off work? Do you feel that if you didn't work as hard or as long or to such high standards that your worth would suddenly drop in the eyes of your family or friends or colleagues? And finally, what about the family excuse? Now the guest in the parable was a newlywed. He wanted to spend time with his wife. Of course he did, <laughs> who wouldn't? But does your wife or your husband have a higher place in your life than God does? Are you revolving everything around your children? We live in a generation of helicopter mums, putting our kids every whim as top priority in our lives. Are, are you regularly missing church to take your kids to football or to dancing? Are you choosing their comfort over God's will? Now we've wrestled with this when it comes to choosing secondary schools. Are we putting our own will for our kids over that of the saviour who loves them most? I've often said that I trust God with everything, but do I completely trust him with my babies? I don't know that I can always say yes to that. If God called you to move away from your friends and family now, could you do it? If he called you to send your children to a school that was not the highest achieving or had the best reputation, could you do it? Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, and God does not often ask us to completely put them down, just put them back into their rightful place. So whichever ex excuse you recognise as your own, I want to challenge you now to take hold of it, lay it out before God, admit it to him, repent and put it back in its rightful place. Back in its rightful place in your life, under the authority of Jesus. When it's under the authority of Jesus, that is where it will bring you the greatest joy and him the greatest glory. So what does saying yes to Jesus look like? Well, when you feel him nudge you or gently whisper to your heart, simply do what he says. Buy those flowers for the person who sits next to you at work. Ring up your friend and ask them if they are okay. Go over and talk to that person sitting alone on the park bench. Give an anonymous gift to the family that God pops into your mind. Mel brought a word a few weeks ago about acting quickly when God prompts you. And let me encourage you to do that again. When you hear him speak, say yes and act quickly. Now, if you don't find it that easy to distinguish the voice of God in that way yet, then start with something a little more concrete. Practice the spiritual disciplines. God asks us every day to immerse ourselves in his word. So your saying yes today could simply be to open your Bible and for 10 minutes, sit down and read. Or take 15 minutes out to pray for the people on your street. Or pop on some worship music and sing and glorify Jesus that way. All of these things are saying yes to Jesus. And the more you practice these things, the more easily and clearly you'll begin to hear his call on your life in other ways. <clears throat> but why should we choose to say yes, other than God asks us to? If you're already saved, you're fine. You, you would be totally correct in saying that once you've accepted his salvation invitation, your seat at the banquet is saved. There is a place name with your name written on it. Job done. But where the Pharisees went wrong is they never took the time to look at Jesus and allow themselves to fall in love with him. 
They never sat at his feet, captivated by his heart, his passion, his love, his mission. Saying yes to salvation is just the beginning. Just as with any wedding, the bride and the groom say yes to each other on that day because they are already in love. But as they live together, walk together, spend time together, their love grows. I love Matt so much more now than I did 17 years ago because I know him better. And as a result of that, I want to go where he goes. I want to be on the same page and the same team because I know we are better together than we are apart. Why struggle through this life under your own steam when you could be filled with the Spirit, walking with Jesus by your side and living the abundant life that God intended for us here on earth? God's heart is love. God's heart is abundant blessing, not stinginess or dull life. God wants us to enjoy life, not just get through it. He wants us to be over the top, blessed by creation and all its abundance. He wants us to thrive, not to just survive. And the way we thrive, the way we shine, the way we find true, honest contentment and peace is God's way. I know our way often seems more attractive or easier, but think about it. Think back to those times God has called you to do something and you've decided to go your own way instead. Did it honestly work out the best for you? Did it really lead to a deep-rooted, long-lasting satisfaction? Did you find peace? If all these things sound good to you, the only place you're going to find them is in Jesus. What are you holding on to so tightly that you don't have a hand free to reach out and take hold of the beautiful invitation God is giving you? What is stopping you from saying yes today? The people the king invited to the banquet took it in turns to offer an excuse that actually didn't even come close to what they would have experienced had they simply said yes to him. Whatever it is that looks so important to you now, can I please assure you that it, compared to knowing Jesus, it really is nothing. Paul said, I count all things, all things loss compared to the riches of knowing Christ. Now, I won't be able to convince you of that, but the Holy Spirit can. So I pray now that he continues to stir you as you go forward into this week. So let's finish up. The Pharisees had the invitation to the great banquet right in front of them and they said no. They chose to go their own way and the loss they would experience as a result of their decision was eternal. Don't be like the Pharisees. You have the royal invitation right in front of you an invitation to walk with Jesus daily, to immerse ourselves in his worship and his word, to listen to what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go. And it is his heart's cry that we would put down whatever is filling our hands, take hold of this invitation, take out the RSVP card, and tick yes. Now we're going to take a bit of time to respond to God. Matt's going to play some music in the background and I just want to give you a few minutes on your own with Jesus. So if you feel comfortable, if you want to, just close your eyes, hold out your hands, kneel, lie down, stand up, whatever you need to do. Move to a position where it's just you and Jesus and take this time to be honest with him. Talk to him, speak to him. What has the Holy Spirit been stirring you about? Which of the excuses you heard do you need to allow him to do some work in in you? I believe God wants to do some reprioritizing of hearts tonight. I believe he wants to open up our eyes 
and look at him fresh again. And as we allow ourselves to fall more in love with him, he wants to gently help us shift some things around in our lives. So we're just going to take a few minutes as the music plays to just sit with Jesus and to respond to what he said to us. And then at the end, I'm just going to pray to finish. your beautiful invitation we thank you that your blood your grace and your love encompasses more than we could ever know was freely poured out for us on that cross so we can share in an eternity with you Jesus we thank you for this free gift that we don't deserve but God your heart is for us you love us so much you want us you are jealous for us. I thank you that we can share an eternity with you and I thank you that that eternity starts right here. Holy Spirit, come and fill each and every one of us as we go forward from today and I pray that everyone who hears this message will choose you, will choose to respond to your voice, will choose to walk your way will choose to say yes. All glory, honour, praise and power be unto your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.